3: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Roto-World Football Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for spending your Monday, Tuesday, whatever day it is, July 16th with me. My name is Josh Norris. Yes, it's our roundup episode. You guys have loved them in the past. We're hoping to improve them each and every week. We're working on it. We're working on it. Do want to remind you that we have new episodes, Tuesdays for Waivers, and then Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays for your rankings, your start sits, your injuries, your matchups, all that good stuff. We have you covered all week long, plus Roto-World Live each Sunday, noon Eastern on twitch.tv slash world or NBC Sports' YouTube page. I mean, it was a wild week with like six new starting quarterbacks across the league. We cover each and every single one of them, how they performed, and if you enjoy this episode for any moment, be sure to subscribe and listen to this episode throughout the season. Again, it's not just fancy based here, right? We're keeping you in the know exactly what you need to have each and every week of the season. All right, here we go. We'll kick things off with Patrick Doherty having the game of the weekend. Not selfish by him at all. He picks the games. <laughs> uh, Kansas City Chiefs at home beat the Baltimore Ravens. Thirty-three to twenty-eight. This was a battle of two two and O teams, and now the Chiefs are three and o, Pat and the Ravens are two and one. Was the game as close as the scoreboard says it was?
0: Not quite, but it was never. It was never over, and it was never really garbage time. And you know, and like one of the laws of playing
3: against an Andy Reid team is that
0: just you will make the game closer in the fourth quarter. And this wasn't an actually still somewhat close game. That became closer in the fourth quarter.
3: The Chiefs put together 23 points in the second quarter. Patrick Mahomes, 27 of 37, 374, and three touchdowns. I mean, there were big plays at Miko Hardman on an 83-yard touchdown, uh, a big play to Sammy Watkins, which went for 36 yards. Travis Kelsey had seven receptions, 89 yards on eight targets. Uh, but Pat, I mean, maybe more importantly than anything, some might say, is the Chiefs finally got their running game going. Darrell Williams, 62 yards on the ground. LaShawn McCoy, 54 yards on the ground and a touchdown.
0: They did. What an adventure that was. Uh, Darrell Williams, there was <laughs> pregame speculation. He was going to be the starter. And then uh, LaShawn McCoy, lo and behold, was out there for the first snap. Uh, Darrell Williams, though, did check in on the first drive. And he ended up touching LaShawn McCoy, 14 to 11. That was mostly because Shady retweaked his ankle to had zero touches in the fourth quarter. Which I said, you know, just in that kind of weird gray area, but Shady looks, you know, when Shady was could be the complete focus of the defense's attention in Buffalo last year, he looked really old. Uh, when you're in Kansas City and you have Patrick Mahomes throwing multiple ADR touchdowns every first half, uh, you tend to look a little younger, and Shady has looked a little younger, and definitely has enough juice left to. Maybe not running the Buffalo Bills offense, but he's got more than enough juice left to run in the Chiefs offense. But yeah, now for the second straight week, you know, we're, we're, not, we're, we're no strangers to Roshan McCoy tapping out of games. So maybe it was an out of abundance of caution, but he will once again be questionable for week four.
3: Shifting to the Ravens side of this, Pat, I mean, there were still pretty major questions. Um, at least some people had them. If Lamar Jackson could continue the performance that he had in the first two weeks. And a lot of that was from a passing standpoint, especially in week one against a very bad, what, Miami's Dolphins team, if I'm remembering week one correctly. Um, in this game, 22 of 43, 267 with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. Overall on the day, what do you think of him as a passer?
0: This was 2018, Lamar Jackson, the passer. And the only reason he even got to 267 was because of really two of the flukiest passes you will ever see in the NFL getting smashed on a fourth down. Uh, I can't remember if it was the third or fourth quarter, but he was getting hammered into the ground and just tossed the ball up into the air. And it happened to find Seth Roberts who may or may not have gotten away with offensive pass interference. of uh, the chiefs actually challenged the call and probably could have been overturned, but they did not call OPI on the review. And then later kind of the same thing in deep, deep trouble on a third down, I think a third and long, and he threw across the field just kind of a jump ball then that Willie Sneed was able to come down on. So those kind of two basically miracle passes, boosted the passing yardage, extended a pair of drives, and kind of saved his, not even really saved, but quote-unquote saved his passing day. But, yeah, this was more of 2018 Lamar Jackson. But, you know, we showed today why Lamar Jackson, especially in fantasy, such a special player because he didn't have a good passing day and he had a big rushing day scored an amazing rushing touchdown it's got really ridiculous like shimmy and then spin move on the just like stuff that very few people in the nfl can do let alone quarterbacks and you know his rushing was enough to keep them in a game with maybe the best team in the afc on the road so uh we'll need to see more consistency with the passing but uh yeah i mean it was just so in the way so it was kind of like a. You know, there was positives and negatives. Wasn't a good, great passer, but on days he's not a great passer. He can still have a big fantasy day and keep the Ravens in games. Just a very special, unique talent.
3: The Ravens, as always, did establish it, though. They did establish the run. Mark Ingram, they did. 103 yards, Hard. three touchdowns. Gus Edwards, 53 yards. Lamar Jackson, 46 yards himself with a touchdown uh, on the ground, which he like just did like a behind-the-back crossover basketball type Allen Iverson move and found himself in the end zone it was, it was
0: amazing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
3: but Marquise Brown I mean look this is a player who just played like 42 percent of the snaps in previous weeks had a ton of production despite that was locked in, in a lot of people's lineups and Pat nine targets he saw but just two receptions for 49 yards anything people can take from this Marquise Brown performance yeah
0: the classic now maybe listeners and readers are gonna getting tired of hearing us talk about this so much over the past two or three years that we talk about it so much now, because it was really a thing and he was still gobbling up air yards, still getting uh, targeted deep down the field. And his, I think now he has over, definitely has over 20 targets the past two weeks. So it was a quiet day today, but basically the usage was still very promising. And uh, there's, t- t- you know, it was a dud of a fantasy day, but to me, a going nothing to really be worried about going forward Still looking like a potentially special player with a you know a really good fantasy role and a really explosive offense. So just wasn't his day, but nothing long term concerning that I saw.
3: Pat, let's shift over to your other game. That is the Dallas Cowboys at home demolishing the Miami Dolphins, thirty-one to six. It wasn't like a complete and utter um, destruction from start to finish. Like at halftime, the Cowboys were only up. 10-6. to six. Let's talk about, like, just halves, okay? Because that's probably the best half the Dolphins had played the season, correct?
0: It was, and they, you know, blessed their hearts. They had a chance to take their <laughs> first
3: lead of the that's season. That's straight to my heart, Pat. And and the, oh, bless her they, heart.
0: <laughs> and they missed, I think it was 47 yards, so it wasn't like the world's shortest field goal. But they had a chance to take their first lead of the season and shanked a field goal. So, that was very Dolphins. And it was kind of just more, the Dolphins did play better, much better. Than we saw the first two weeks, but it was still an extremely poor level of football, and it was more kind of about the Cowboys not executing for the first time all season. Dak Prescott was missing easy throws. Uh, a really boneheaded interception on a play where he had like all—it was one of those classic plays where he had all the time in the world, but everyone was covered, and he just couldn't—he just couldn't let it die, and just had to jam it in there, and it resulted in an interception. And it was really kind of more about it being a poor half for the Cowboys and like a good half for the Dolphins. But it was not an abjectly terrible half for the Dolphins, which counts as you know, massive progress in the land of the Dolphins, who through two weeks, the, their their point differential would have been the ninth worst in the entire league all of last season. So just upgrading to not abjectly terrible is a big step forward for the Dolphins.
3: Dak Prescott, 19 of 32, 246 yards, two touchdowns and interception. Um, assuming because they were up on the scoreboard so much, Pat, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard kind of shared the workload. Zeke got 19 carries for 125 yards. Tony Pollard, 13 carries for 103 yards and a touchdown. And Tony Pollard added another three catches on top of that for 25. This isn't a split backfield, right? It was scoreboard dependent here.
0: Yeah. I mean, there were some, there may or may not have been some very tilted people um, in the road to world football slack chat about what was going on with Ezekiel Elliott not scoring a touchdown. Uh, Tony Pollard, it wasn't all garbage time. He was kind of sprinkled in throughout the game. But yeah, when he really got his numbers, including his 16-yard touchdown, the game was long since over. And I kind of – I mean, i not the only person who made this forecast, but in the rankings column this week, I kind of forecasted, you know, we can't really expect Ezekiel Elliott to be the guy who's going to close this game out. The Cowboys, you know, wanted to do – be reasonable – with his reps early in the season, they, you know, they needed Zeke more in week two. They rode him pretty hard last week, but it was just kind of always obvious that unless the Dolphins kept it surprisingly close for three quarters, it just wouldn't be Ezekiel Elliott closing this game out today. And it wasn't, it was Tony Pollard, but no, it is not a split backfield. Um, You know, Pollard, what he said, he's hit 13 carries in two or three games, but it was just extenuating unique circumstances both times. Zeke, you know, just coming back in week one and then today you're playing an expansion team. So, yeah, there's there's no no reason for concern if you were a first-round Ezekiel Elliott investor.
3: Quickly, before I let you go, tell me about Josh Rosen. Um, tough start to his career, but was Josh Rosen an improvement over Ryan Fitzpatrick?
0: Not really. Um, well, and okay. most of his notable plays on the day like would not show up in the box score. He unfortunately got Alan Hearns Lit up with a hospital ball. Got a receiver concussed. Was kind of like a textbook hospital ball. Uh, he himself, who has had a history of concussion problems, was evaluated for concussion. Um, thankfully, he was cleared. And then, like kind of his best throw, he found Preston Williams in the end zone. Should have been like a 14 or 15 yard touchdown. And then Preston Williams could not uh, hashtag complete the process and let the ball get punched out. Well, uh, I'll say for Rosen, he was giving his receivers. Chances to make plays down the field, but so it was kind of either delivering like inaccurate balls or throwing into too tight a coverage or seeing them just make mistakes. Kind of Sometimes all in the same play, all three of those things would happen. Uh, I, I wouldn't classify it as a discouraging performance, but it was not what I would also term an encouraging performance. It was just kind of there and kind of like a inconclusive, basically, for Josh Rosen's first start this
3: season. Perhaps surprisingly, the Detroit Lions are undefeated as they beat the Philadelphia Eagles on the road. Again, on the road, 27-24. to 24. Bring on John Daigle now to help us sort through this mess. Maybe, I mean, Daigle, we all think that the Eagles are one of the more talented teams across the league. I know it's early in the season, but just one and two, and losing to a Lions team that is probably outperforming their roster talent right now.
2: Yeah. It was just a myriad of things that happened negatively for the Eagles in this one. And I mean, we're talking about losing Jason Peters and Andre Dillard mid game. Uh, the drops, six of them in all, assuming they count J.J. Arcega Whiteside's final non-catch as a drop because that's what it definitely was to end the game Um, six drops that didn't help out Carson Wentz as he just attempted to manufacture production but the lack of talent and explosiveness they missed on the field without Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson was clearly noticeable and that's why as I'm sure you're looking at the box score in front of you right now that is why Miles Sanders numbers jump off the page
3: they absolutely do I mean 13 carries 53 yards Uh, Two receptions, 73 yards on four targets. We've been waiting for Miles Sanders to have some production, and he absolutely exploded in this game, but he had some mistakes too, didn't
2: he? Okay, so they had to get him involved, a concerted effort to get him involved, because they lacked explosiveness. He's so important to this offense, especially without Jeffrey and Jackson. And those targets and the 74 receiving yards are not a fluke. They were downfield targets. The issue is he is now... On this, in this game alone, he had two drives, and he's now averaging a fumble for every 20 touches, I believe, 19 Ooh, to 20 touches in the, in the league. I know, and he averaged a fumble every 30.8 touches at Penn State. It's what's ultimately going to take him off the field. But at the same time, his explosiveness, especially in this dire need right now for this offense, is what's also going to keep him on the field. It's just a matter of he absolutely has to shape that fumbling issue because it is going to haunt him, much like what's happening with Chris Carson in Seattle right now.
3: Yeah, let's finish out this Eagles team. Again, I'll run through some of the stats. 19 of 36 for Carson Wentz, 259 yards and two touchdowns, I believe he had like a throw near the end of the clock to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside on a deep post, one-on-one, and a jump ball specialist in Arcega-Whiteside could not bring it down. But he also targeted Zacherts seven times for four catches and 64 yards. Nelson Aguilar, 12 catches, eight receptions, 50 yards, and two touchdowns. We don't know. It kind of seems like Alshon Jeffries is more likely to come back sooner rather than later than Deshaun Jackson. But if this continues Daigle... Are any of these players suiting your fancy as options we can think of moving forward for the Eagles?
2: Yeah, I genuinely assumed the pecking order would be Zach Ertz and then a toss up between Aguilar and Arsega Whiteside and then Mac Collins after that. Yeah. But that wasn't the case at all. Um, it was getting Aguilar involved, and they it was truly like them getting him involved, making a certain effort to get him involved, but then also him having a classic Nelson Aguilar game, a drop third down, a fumble that turned the ball over inside the two-minute mark, and then pinballing off defenders for a 20-yard touchdown sprint. That was basically a fluke. But then his second touchdown was not a fluke. It was inside the five-yard line, and it was Mack Hollins who actually outperformed J.G. Arcega-Whiteside across the board, whether it's blocking, running routes. like Hollins was actually the better player today. And it was Hollins who sprung Aguilar open with a pick-play block that got Aguilar the second touchdown. It is clear that he is the number one option in however many games, and I don't think it's that many more, but however many games Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson
3: both miss. The one thing that can destroy a super talented roster is injuries, and they're certainly piling up for the Eagles, and they have the Packers next on the road, a Packers defense that has been flying around, but sticking the NFC North. Let's talk about those Detroit lines. I mean, I keep burying them here, but like Daigle, are they fun? Are they enjoyable to watch? I mean, I'm looking at these stat lines. No. Yeah, I mean, it's, Math- it's Matthew Stafford, one. 18 completions, 32 yards, 201, and like a touchdown. And then like JD McKissick was their leading rusher with 44 yards. carry Johnson had 20 carries, 36 and a touchdown, an average of 1.8 yards per carry. Then you have Marvin Jones, six, 101, and one. Like what, how, how are they winning these games? By, by defense, by the way, their defense looks outstanding. Hmm. Um,
2: and they are doing enough production through the air. Stafford is actually going downfield quite a bit. It is con- inconsistent quite, a, quite a bit but he's going downfield enough to where they're making plays on the limited times they get their hands on the ball. Um, I was shocked that they didn't use Kenny Galladay as a downfield threat and instead used Marvin Jones along the sideline. But the fact of the matter is that Marvin Jones was good enough deep to make plays when it counted most. The big takeaway from the Lions offense, though, is that C.J. Anderson's midweek release, we thought would just increase Ty Johnson's <laughs> role yeah. behind on Johnson. But for some reason, now all of a sudden, they decided to hand Carry on Johnson a career high 20 carries on 77% of their offensive snaps. And this is good because it may be a small buy low window, very small, because assuming Carry on Johnson gets this usage next week. They play the Chiefs at home in an up-tempo matchup that will hike their play volume in week four. And that's a game with 20 carries or another career high that on Johnson will absolutely go nuts in.
3: Yeah, the Lions have the Chiefs, the Packers, and the Vikings in their next three games. So it'll be interesting to see if they are actual contenders or pretenders in the next series of the season. All right, you also had a debut, Daniel Jones, coming in with the New York Giants winning on the road 32 to 31 over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay, look, we know that the Bucs basically won this game at the end with a missed field goal, but Daigle, what we need to know about, how did Daniel Jones look because he had four total touchdowns on the day?
2: This was Daniel Jones without Saquon Barkley for majority of the game as well. And under pressure he made plays that Eli Manning doesn't stand a chance. Like, dare I say the Giants lose this game by two scores if it's Eli Manning under center. But instead of Daniel Jones, who carried four times and scored two rushing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, by the way, which in one single start for the rookie trumps Eli Manning's single-season high Hmm. as a starter all-time with the Giants in rushing touchdowns. Um, But now, like, it was just clear... He is the option because he was under duress. They were absolutely getting pressure on him, but he was just making plays, scrambling around, throwing downfield. He single-handedly revived Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard. Like, Sterling Shepard's longest catch in week one was 11 yards. Like We are used to him getting peppered within five yards of the line of scrimmage, but now Sterling Shepard is a downfield target. Like He's genuinely making everyone in this offense valuable, and that's even without Golden Tate playing just yet.
3: Yeah, I'll just run through the stat lines. Nine targets, seven receptions, 100 yards, and a touchdown for Sterling Shepard. Eight targets, six receptions, 113 yards, and a touchdown for Evan Ingram. Let's get back to Daniel Jones, though, real quick. Because mm-hmm. what we most criticized Eli for is like being able to win outside of structure, along with like hitting downfield throws, which he should have. With that mobility that we've already talked about, Daniel Jones showed in college, now with 28 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. Plus, I'm sure he had some in the pocket. I, I guess let me finish with this question on Jones's side. Was there something that popped up today that you thought, Hey, this is overly concerning or was it just a solid performance all around that you can just build off from here as a rookie debut?
2: It was hard to truly gauge just because they were without a run game. Yeah, They were down 28 to 10 coming out of the second, coming out of the halftime. And, uh, it was, it's against the Bucks defense, who they're still question marks despite the fact they've played well so far. Yeah. So it was really, truly tough to gauge. But it's just a matter of, for fantasy production, his rushing upside, it even looks like it's staying. Like, he scrambles around and makes plays under pressure. He extended so many plays. I don't even know the number. Um, and that's terrific. Like I said, that genuinely boosts Sterling Shepard into wide receiver, two territory, and Ed, Evan Ingram maintaining a uh, tight end top four role.
3: And Saquon Barkley, I believe, has a high ankle sprain. I believe that that has been reported. He just had 10 yards on eight carries. I'm sure in your waiver wire column you're going to hit on Wayne Gallman, but it might be tough. I know the Giants offensive line has done well so far this season, but we also know that Saquon is the type of talent that can break a 60-yarder at any moment, and we certainly don't think Wayne Gallman has that in him. Um, let's hit in the buck side, okay? Because... Our entire Thursday episode of this podcast, John Daigle talked about how Mike Evans is about to have his breakout. Mike Evans was a buy. Even if you started Mike Evans or drafted Mike Evans in the top three rounds, this is the week to play him. And what did Mike Evans do 15 targets, eight receptions, 190 yards and three touchdowns.
2: He tripled up Chris Godwin in air yards. Uh, he was just the primary downfield target, two 20 yard touchdowns, one wide receiver screen for a touchdown inside the five, uh, capitalized on a 44-yard catch in the final minute that brought the Bucks in field goal territory that Matt Gay eventually whiffed mm-hmm. but it, it so Mike Evans is historically a compiler um like the the what we don't want to do here I'm trying to just phrase this correctly what we don't want to do here is exaggerate Evans's results in this game and now turn it into like a, a constant top five production. It's not going to happen. Godwin is safe despite his mere forty yards in this one, and Evans is safe, and uh, they have a good matchup against the Rams this week. It's just the buy low window is what you were looking for, and right. that is now shut, right? Because you're no longer getting it. Um, yes, we start Evans next week. Yes, we start Godwin this week. But this is why we talked about him coming into this week because it was such an obvious. Moment that he was going to blow up, and it's almost as if they made sure he blew up but targeted him so heavily downfield.
3: Yeah, and the Giants defense absolutely sucks. Like, we know that. It's um, terrible. It's the worst. Yeah. Well, not the worst. Like, we've talked about the Cardinals, we've talked it's about the bad. Dolphins, but it's bad. But what it does do is it shows that because I'm sure some people just like your average NFL watchers say, oh, he's done bad in the first two weeks. I can't rely on him moving forward. Now you can't rely on him getting three touchdowns every week, but there's something in the middle that you're going to see from, from Mike Evans because it's a passing it's offense. Sammy yes, yes, there we go. Um, OJ Howard, 66 yards. He got going in this game. Is there anything we can take from that as well? Along with Jameis Winston, 380 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Did it look of more of the same from Jameis Winston, which is your peaks and valleys?
2: They were downfield targets for O.J. Howard, so that was promising. Um, and four is promising compared to an egg in the box score last week, but I still have question marks. It's all, and they were, like I said, they were downfield targets along the sideline, attempting to use him more. One was negated for an offensive holding penalty, but I still, I still genuinely wonder if it was just the matchup that helped everyone flourish yep. and if O.J. Howard goes back to hiding next week. So I'm um, still a tight end one. You're not cutting, you're not trading, you're holding on for his upside, but I don't think we're in the clear just yet. And Jameis Winston actually looked tremendous, again, against a very bad defense. Um, It's just typical Jameis Winston, though. No matter how accurate and poised he looks at times, there was still his one interception to start the fourth quarter that – Uh, was just high it was a duck over Mike Evans head under pressure that just landed in the lap of the defender and that's just what you're going to get at least once per game from Jameis Winston whether you want it or not
3: and the Bucks MVP so far has been edge rusher Shaq Barrett eight sacks so far in just three games he's on a one-year deal by the way he's going to get paid this offseason
2: and by the way, uh, Ronald Jones, again, this is the second time in three games that he's outperformed Peyton Barber. And now is a matter of how stubborn is Bruce Arians going to be. Um, I don't think he's too much better than Barber, but you have absolutely nothing to lose by making the switch and giving Barber more time. They had 15 touches apiece. Jones had a forty one yard screenplay he looked explosive on and averaged five point seven yards per carry, whereas Peyton Barber did Peyton Barber things and averaged just under four yards per carry on his thirteen touches.
3: So after our live show, World of World Live, I go into the newsroom and get to watch all these games, and I gotta say, Ian Harditz, you had the Minnesota Vikings hosting the Oakland Raiders winning thirty four to fourteen, and Ian Harditz, I did not see a single frame, a single second of this contest. What did I miss?
1: <laughs> if you watched the Falcons play the Vikings in Week One, it was eerily similar to that. Okay, in, in that the Vikings—I mean—they had a twenty-one-nothing lead for too long. I mean, they, they just took over this game pretty much from the beginning. It was. Everything that, all the mean things that people like to say about Derek Carr, about him, you know, panicking under pressure, not testing defenses downfield, just kind of checking down right when the defense wants him to, all those things happened today, and it just really was not a good game for the Raiders' offense at all. They got, like I said, behind early, so they couldn't really even look to uh, keep the running game going, because Josh Jacobs, to this point, has pretty much been their only positive, you know, consistent source of yardage on the ground, and they had to start passing the ball from very early. So we ended up actually seeing Jalen Richard play 29 snaps, DeAndre Washington nine, Josh Jacobs only had 25. And Ooh. we talked, uh, we talked on the Sunday show about Jacobs being a bit more game script dependent than uh, people think. But also uh, the broadcast mentioned how Jacobs was having IVs, you know, doing work on him pretty much 48 hours before the game up until kickoff. So the Raiders did want to spell him more than usually than, than we'll usually see. But Still, man, it's just going to be tough to expect, you know, consistent three-down excellence from Jacobs in this pretty much pitiful Raiders offense.
3: And what that led to was Derek Carr going 27-34, 242, two touchdowns and an interception. Meanwhile, Darren Waller. Darren freaking Waller. 14 targets, 13 receptions, 134 yards. I mean, did he look legitimately good? Are those, like, actual yards he was racking up?
1: Yeah, so Carr's stat line definitely sounds a little bit better than uh than what we saw. Okay. He got a lot of that production just in the second half, you know, once the Vikings were uh, really just laying off line of scrimmage. But Waller, I, I don't want to take anything away from him because th- he did look good. I mean, he is legitimately awesome after the catch. He converted a short screen into a good 30-yard chunk play earlier in the game. And, you know, he's showing off pretty natural hands. He had one drop that would have been good for an extra 25 yards. But, I mean, truly a gifted tight end, at least as a receiver. I mean, I used a comparison uh, a week or two ago about how, uh, you know, Evan Ingram before the season versus O.J. Howard. And maybe we consider O.J. Howard the more complete tight end when we think of things like blocking and, you know, all the things that like go into the position. But Evan Ingram was the one that actually had the real chance to lead his team in targets. That's kind of how I view this Darren Waller-T.J. Hawkinson situation. You know, If I'm an NFL GM, of course I want T.J. Hawkinson, but we're not GMs. We just want opportunity in fantasy football, and that's what Darren Waller can give you.
3: So talk to me about the Vikings, In What did they do so well? Because Kirk Cousins was 15 of 21, 174, and one touchdown, Davin Cook keeps doing Davin Cook things. 16 carries, Oof. 110 yards, and a touchdown. Even his backup, Alexander Madison, who you and I love, 12 carries, 58 yards, and a touchdown. Irv Smith. Their rookie, what, second or third round pick, three receptions, 60 yards, which led the team on just three targets. Uh, Dalvin Cook added another 33 yards in the air. Like, it just seems like this is the Dalvin Cook and run game show.
1: Dalvin Cook is so good. I mean, I, I think everyone more or less agrees that Saquon Barkley is the most gifted uh, running back in the league, just with the ball in his hands, is a pure runner. But we really got to start thinking about Dalvin Cook as number two if we're not already because he had multiple 15-yard chunk plays where he was just breaking multiple tackles along the way and looked unstoppable I mean cannot stress enough just how perfect he is in this Kubiak uh, zone running offense and you know Madison like you said he had a good game himself uh, behind him he's not quite in the same level uh, as Cook I think as a three down back but man Madison I mean he's he is one of the top handcuffs in the league. If, you, if he's available on your waiver wire, go get him. His uh, score, he hurled the guy right before the end zone, plowed his way in. Uh, just uh, nothing but a good, awesome goodness from this Vikings run game. But, yeah, you mentioned uh, the volume kind of concerns with the passing game. And Irv Smith, uh, he definitely outperformed Kyle Rudolph in this game. I still think it's both tight ends are pretty much off limits in uh, fantasy, just as standalone options as long as they're kind of splitting snaps in this offense. Because, we're seeing ballers like Stephon Diggs just not be able to get going because they're not getting thrown the ball enough. Uh, Adam Thielen was able to convert a nice uh, design play for a touchdown and actually got an inside handoff uh, the score from the one-yard line. But Stephon Diggs, man, he, he's just really emerging as a guy in this offense that's really getting screwed in terms of fantasy production. I mean, here he already has two games this year with fewer than five targets. That's how many he had in 2016 to 2018 combined.
3: The next three games will be very, very telling for the Minnesota Vikings at the Bears, at the Giants, then hosting the Eagles. So we'll find out who they really are. Uh, You also had the Houston Texans at the LA Chargers. Houston comes out on top 27 to 20. Every single time I turn this game on, Ian Harditz, it would flash up on the screen. I would see Deshaun Watson doing Deshaun Watson things. He would drop his eyes in the pocket, run around find some open space, lift them up, fire downfield to Kenny Stills or DeAndre Hopkins or Will Fuller. Meanwhile, I was seeing Phillip Rivers do Phillip River things in terms of uh, find little operable space in the pocket, uh, throw these bucket dump passes down to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and whoever else was down the field. So what was the story of this game? Were there any peak or, or important moments that really turned the tide towards the Texans' favor?
1: It was just Deshaun Watson taking over the game. I mean, you said it. You never really see Deshaun Watson, you know, just one, two, three, put his foot in the ground and make these, like, in-rhythm passes. That's just not his game. And, you know, it, it leaves him open to a lot of big hits. Uh, again, it was one of those weeks where we saw him a bunch of times, you know, kind of getting picked up off his back after, you know, kind of wasting a bunch of time in the pocket before letting one go with a defender in his face. But he makes things happen, and it happens again and again and again. Kenny Stills, Wolf Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins and Jordan Aikens all had 30 yard chunk plays at one point or another in the game. And it's, it's, there is no one bet. I mean, all right, maybe Mahomes. Hmm. We always got in any quarterback comparison, you know, i say, oh, yeah, Mahomes is better. But uh, <laughs> look, <laughs> when Deshaun Watson, like, yeah, I get he drops his eyes, but if you can't get that guy down in the first three or four seconds on your pass rush, it's going to be a serious problem because he has the legs to go find an opening, and he has the arm to go ahead and make that pass. So uh, really good things from the passing game, even if we didn't see Hopkins or Fuller uh, you know, really get enough volume to have one of these breakout performances. Uh, the, the one thing that I would note is I think we're going to see a lot of people um, kind of getting on Aikens and Fells, you know, the two tight ends with the Texans combined for three touchdowns. I think it was just more of a It was result. fluky. Like, you know, it, it was fluky. It was, it was fluky, yeah. And we've got to keep in mind that this Chargers secondary – isn't really the world-beating group that we thought they were entering the year. I mean, Derwin James on IR, the backup safety Adrian Phillips, he's on IR. Cornerback uh, Michael Davis, he's been out. Other cornerback Trevor Williams, he's been on IR. So, yeah, when Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram could get to Deshaun quickly, you know, everything unraveled. But if you make this Charger secondary hold up for even you know a few extra seconds, big time problems can happen.
3: Sean Watson, twenty-five of thirty-four, three fifty-one, and three touchdowns—just wild. Just wild stuff. And he had 18 rushing yards on the ground. What about on the Chargers side? I mean, Keenan Allen went absolutely off. 17 targets, 13 receptions, 183 yards, and two touchdowns for Keenan Allen. Meanwhile, Austin Eckler, who was the leading point scorer at the running back position through two weeks, is not that anymore through three weeks because he only had nine carries for 36 yards and then seven receptions for 45 yards.
1: Yeah, it wasn't the biggest performance we've seen from Eckler, but still, I mean, people were disappointed. About the same time, like if this is our bad off the Eckler game, I mean, that's That's a perfectly good floor. Uh, he's had at least six catches in all three games. Uh, Justin Jackson deserves a little respect. I mean, he's just—he's clearly every time he runs the ball. I mean, I think he's better in between the tackles than uh, Eckler. And he actually had another touchdown called back. I had the same thing happen last week. So uh, he, he's kind of due. I, I think we'll see him score a real touchdown next week against Miami uh, after kind of getting screwed back-to-back weeks. But yeah, I can't say enough things about Keenan Allen. I mean, he is just getting. Fed the ball. I mean, he is only the sixth wide receiver over the last 10 years with at least 42 targets in weeks one through three. I I get 42 is a little bit of an arbitrary number, but like, look, you watch this game, and anytime Rivers needed a play, he went to Keenan Allen, and there was not a thing these Houston cornerbacks could do. I mean, the Chargers really should have forced overtime in this game because there's a fourth and 13. Rivers managed to find Keenan Allen for a big first down. The very next play, Rivers dropped a Dying about 50 yards downfield, right into Travis Benjamin's hands, but he just couldn't hold on. So, uh, Texans managed to hold on, but I mean, Chargers were right there in this game. And, uh, you know, Rivers, even if he's getting up there in age, you know, he's not going to give you any uh, rushing production ever, but he's still got the arm to make any throw he needs to. And even if, uh, you know, he's not zinging in there like the others, his anticipation is so good that he'll get it there however he needs to.
3: Panthers and Falcons at home are the next two games for the Texans. Win both of those, and they're 4 1. The Green Bay Packers. Are three and zero, despite maybe not playing at their peak performance this entire season, as they topple the Denver Broncos twenty-seven to sixteen. We bring on Hayden Winks now, who covered this game. Hayden, after we finish our live show, Rotor World Live, I barely, barely saw anything of this game. So maybe hit the big points for me and what I missed.
4: Well, you're lucky. Uh, the game wasn't 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 that great. <laughs> So, um, on the Packers side, it was Rodgers, 235 yards, one touchdown. He has zero three passing touchdown games over his last 13 healthy games now. I think the days of calling him a locked-in QB1 every week are over, at least for the short term, until they've figured things out. Um, But the big storyline, we had Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones evening up touches. Jamal Williams actually had more touches than Aaron Jones Aaron Jones did have two goal line touchdowns, but mo- moving forward, that that's basically a two man backfield.
3: Yeah, and I believe Matt Lafleur said something to that effect, like, "Well, we want to split their touches evenly." Jamal Williams had yep. 12 carries for 59 yards, no touchdowns. Aaron Jones 10 carries, 19 yards, and did get those two uh, touchdowns. Now, in the passing game, I think Jamal Williams had two catches for 27, and then Aaron Jones just one catch for four yards. That's not something that's necessarily thrilling fantasy participants out there, because I would say 97.2% of the fantasy community believes that Aaron Jones is is the far superior player to Jamal Williams.
4: Yeah, and I think the last, what, 18, 20 games have proven that. Uh, Today it was a little bit different. I think Aaron Jones is definitely a low-end RB2 going forward. I think Jamal Williams deserves to get picked up in most leagues. Uh, But yeah, not not an ideal situation.
3: And it's not like Devontae Adams has really set the 2019 season on fire either this first week just four receptions for 36 yards on eight targets second week against minnesota seven receptions on nine targets for 106 yards and this week against denver four receptions on four targets for just 56 yards is it just the case that this offense as you alluded to just doesn't quite have the ceiling that it used to
4: yeah so before the season i looked back at usage um in regards to point differential and Devonte adams last year was targeted uh, like at, at an insane level when the chart or when the Packers were losing.
3: Hmm. And if they're the winning.
4: Packers defense. <laughs> yeah, if the Packers defense is as good as it looks moving forward, I really don't think Adams is going to see nearly as many targets as he did before. Um, he's still on the low end wide receiver one mix going forward, um, but I don't think that ceiling is quite as high as it was.
3: Geronimo Allison, negative one yards and just one catch. Up. But Not MVS, uh, 10 targets, 6 receptions, 99 yards, and a touchdown for him. You mentioned how good the Packers' defense is. Hayden, what is going on with this Broncos' defense? I mean, they brought in one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL, and Vic Fangio, and all he's done is have Von Miller and Bradley Chubb combine for zero sacks in three games so far. Yep.
4: Yeah, it was bad. Um, on the... MVS long touchdown that was on a, a hard count they jumped off sides free play of course and, and Rodgers hit him deep but yeah getting getting none nothing from those two uh, that's one of the biggest storylines of, of the year if the Broncos can't uh, get anything from them they are in
3: serious trouble Is there anything of note offensively from the Broncos I mean Joe Flacco 20 of 29 for 213 and an interception that's a snooze performance Philip Lindsay 21 carries 81 yards and two touchdowns for him um, but, I mean, just behind him, Royce Freeman got 15 carries in this game as well. It, looked, it seems like this Broncos rushing game was working. And, I mean, this was kind of the one game that Emmanuel Sanders didn't get to going in the passing game.
4: Yeah, so Royce Freeman left with a shoulder injury for a little bit. He was kind of in and out. Um, he played through. It's so not something to keep an eye on. Uh, but the Broncos were just establishing the run. They didn't care about the score. Um, in the second half, they were trailing, still running the ball um, in obvious passing Smart. situations. Smart. Yeah, it just uh, it's basically the West Coast Titans. Uh, kind of how I'm viewing it. That's gross. Yeah, yeah. pretty brutal.
3: Uh, okay, again, the Broncos are 0 and 3, and the Packers are 3 and 0. Next three for the Bron- for the Packers are the Eagles at the Cowboys, and then the Lions and the Raiders after that. Ooh, interesting. Maybe a little six and one for the Packers. Probably. Who knows? All right, the other game you had uh, the San Francisco 49ers beat the Pittsburgh Steelers with the 49ers being at home. Another three and O team. A frisky. 49ers team do you want to start there or do you want to start with mason rudolph making his debut as a starter for the steelers
4: uh let's go with the niners so okay. they had five turnovers garoppolo had three of them it was it was a really ugly game um jimmy g were they were able to move the ball but once it got into the red zone it went stagnant um outside of jeff wilson stealing goal line carries matt brieta and, and raheem Mostart are the guys getting everything between the 20s, and then it's Jeff Wilson's season uh, once we get closer to
3: the goal line. talk to me about this, okay? Because Matt Breida, good football player. Raheem Mostert, good football player. And, like, Jeff Wilson probably is decent, but Kyle Shanahan, maybe more than anyone, is, like, sticking to these running back roles, and it certainly seems like in goal-to-go situations, he wants one running back to handle those, and that is Jeff Wilson. Eight carries, 18 yards, and two touchdowns today.
4: And I don't really see this changing. The, the 49ers have a bye week next week, so maybe they look at things a little bit differently. But Matt Breida and Rene Mozart looked great again today. I think going into the game, Mozart was top five in the elusive, elusiveness, according to PFF. Um, and yeah, it just it's just Jeff Wilson. They're going to jam it in there. They have their fullbacks in, and they're just going power. So um, it's a pretty tricky situation. I wouldn't want to be starting Jeff Wilson banking on touchdowns. Right. Um, but I think using Matt Breeder right now, it's the ceiling is high is somewhat high because he's such a talented player, but if he's not getting goal line work and he's not getting that many targets because he's splitting time, uh, it's kind of hard to view him as anything more than like an RB
3: two three. Ooh, Jeff Wilson, twenty nineteen, LeGarrette Blunt. Um talk to me about Jimmy Garoppolo, okay? Because like while I'm watching this 49ers team in the previous two weeks and when I caught it off and on today, like when Kyle Shanahan is holding his hand and the first read is there Jimmy Garoppolo can be really, really nice. But when it goes outside of that, he drops his eyes, he moves around the pocket, he might evade some people at some times, but then other times you mentioned it. Like he had three turnovers, and um, a lot of those mistakes were on him as well. Do you think that he's performing just well enough, obviously, for this team to be 3-0, and but does he need to perform, perform at like another level for them to be a real, real playoff contender?
4: I think the biggest storyline with the 49ers, their pass rush right now is going off Uh, today they had a lot of pressure on Mason Rudolph and uh, it's just something the 49ers have been investing into like what like the last three or four drafts and we're finally seeing it come through so um, Jimmy G I don't think has he's been playing pretty average at best um, but that pass rush stays the way
3: they're they're playing right now uh, a pretty frisky team like you mentioned before And Dante Pettis, game-winning touchdown. What's not to love about it? Okay, we didn't mention at all the Steelers' side of this. It seemed like early on, especially in the first half, Mason Rudolph was absolutely shook, and it's because of that uh, 49ers defense that you were talking about, Robert Saleh and his defense. 14 of 27, 174 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. I will say, like... His long touchdown of 76 yards of Juju Smith-Schuster was a lot of catch and run, a lot of Juju making it happen down the field with downfield blocking as well. But how did Mason look in his debut as a starter? Pretty awful. Uh, oh, okay. It was,
4: yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, 76 of those yards uh, were on that, the one Juju uh, catch and run, um, and that was a lot of just Juju's speed. Yeah, it was, the, the 49ers were after him, but it just, nothing was clicking a lot of balls were like being deflected through the air. He was on his back a few times. Yeah, I'm not – I don't want to put too much into this because they're traveling on the road in this first start. Next week, I think they have a home game against the Bengals. Maybe things open up there. But I think James Connors is in pretty deep trouble right now. He had 57 scoreless yards. um, And that was without Jalen Samuels uh, touching the ball at all. So
3: um,
4: outside of that, there was a – Dance McDonald's shoulder injury that we have to monitor going forward. He left and didn't return. Um, I think Juju is going to get his targets. Connor should get some volume, but uh, touch d- touchdowns might be pretty limited moving forward.
3: And the Steelers had a real opportunity, right? Like the 49ers were within scoring position, fumble in exchange from center to Garoppolo, and then James Connor quickly fumbles it shortly after that. Um, not, not a good look. What about Deontay Johnson? I mean, he asserted himself as. The number two receiver, two media reports, and saw six targets, three catches for two yards and a touchdown. Yeah,
4: so he was pretty quiet. He had he caught Jason Brett uh, peeking back at the quarterback on a little double move that sprung him open for a deep touchdown. Outside of that, it was, it was pretty quiet. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Just Rudolph didn't look on like on target for a lot of his passes. The Juju touchdown, the Deontay Johnson touchdown, uh, really aided his his stat line. And outside of that, it was pretty ugly.
3: Luckily it gets a lot easier for the Steelers as they face the Bengals at home next week. On the other hand, the 49ers have the Browns and Rams the next two weeks. If they win maybe even one of one or two of those, then the 49ers are on a real real path to the playoffs. The New England Patriots beat the New York Jets at home 30 to 14. We bring on Jesse Pantusco. Jesse, just like many of our listeners out there, I elected to not spend a single moment of my life Watching this performance, so please put it in as nice of a package as you can for us.
5: The Patriots came in as twenty-two and a half point home favorites. They did not cover the spread, but it was a pretty easy victory. They probably could have if they had tried to. They were up thirty nothing at one point. Tom Brady came out during the fourth quarter. It looks like he was going to get the rest of the day off, but then Jared Stidham, the rookie, came in and threw a pick six, and Belichick played him the rest of the game. But uh my big takeaway for the Patriots was that for the second time, at least the second time in three weeks, rec Burkhead significantly outplayed Sony Michelle hmm. and Burkhead did benefit, did benefit from James white being out. Uh, James white was with his wife was giving birth to their child. So Burkhead, you know, uh, will take over James white's receiving down roll. Cause Sony Michelle doesn't really catch passes, but it was another dud for Michelle. He's averaging 2.4 yards per carry for the year. Burkhead has outgained him in yards from scrimmage for the year and in two of the last three games and today he outsnapped him 56 to 17 which wow. I thought was pretty significant.
3: Definitely very significant. 11 carries 47 yards and a touchdown you said on the ground for Burkhead. 9 carries 11 yards and a touchdown for Sony Michelle. Uh, we know in the last week that Antonio Brown has been released from the Patriots. So that opened the door for a lot more. of Josh Gordon, who saw 11 targets, six receptions, 83 yards, Julian Edelman, 10 targets, seven receptions, 62 yards and a touchdown. But Jesse, neither one of those players really ended the game healthy.
5: No. Well, Edelman didn't play the entire second half. He, he went out uh, late with a chest injury and still don't really have much of an update on that. It's tough to tell because, you know, this was a blowout game. So if Edelman was even, you know, just at 90%, they might keep him out. I and mean, why risk further injury in a game that the Patriots are, you know, 22-and-a-half point home favorites in? Um, and Gordon had a couple of bumps and bruises in this one. He dove on his hip and went to the medical tent at one point late in the first half. And then he uh, kind of nicked his finger on a face mask early in the third quarter. But he, came, he he left both times, but was only out for a handful of plays, and he ended up Finishing out the game and, you know, pacing the Patriots with 83 yards receiving and definitely having a nice bounce back week after kind of being, uh, you know, taking a backseat to Antonio Brown last week Who the Patriots made a concerted effort to involve against the Dolphins.
3: The Patriots next are at the Bills, then at the Redskins, then host the Giants. Meanwhile, the Jets hit their bye week and hopefully, hopefully Sam Darnold comes back because, I mean, we had 98 passing yards from Luke Falk. 35 rushing yards on 18 whopping carries for Le'Veon Bell. Braxton Berrios was their number one wide receiver for with 29 yards. Like, Jesse, I'm not even going to ask you about the Jets team because it hopefully will look totally different after the bye week. Um, okay, we now move over to the Saints at the Seahawks. The Saints actually come up on top here, Jesse, 33-27. And they do it with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. They do it with Taysom Hill at quarterback. They do it with both on the field simultaneously. How did the Saints win on the road in Seattle, which is a very difficult place to play?
5: Well, you mentioned the Taysom Hill thing, which was a discussion throughout the week. We know that Sean Payton loves using him as a gadget player. It's very frustrating for Drew Brees owners because sometimes he'll he'll, uh, vulture in the red zone. So it was interesting to see how they would employ him. And he ended up playing only four snaps. It was pretty much all Teddy Bridgewater hmm. at quarterback. Uh, Hill didn't even attempt to pass. So that was, that was kind of a non-factor. And we know that Teddy Bridgewater is sort of a, you know, just based on the film we saw of him in Minnesota. And he did make one start at the end of last year in a meaningless Week 17 game. We know that Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. He's a game manager. He's a little more mobile than uh, Drew Brees. Um, and he, you know, he had a pretty good matchup today against the Seahawks secondary that uh, has really bled yards all season. But you know, he does, he doesn't stretch the field vertically. And really, the story was Alvin Kamara. They, you know, pounded the rock with him. He had 161 yards from scrimmage. Had an incredible 29-yard uh, catch and run touchdown off a screen where he tiptoed down the sideline, showed incredible balance to stay in bounds, and um, I, they really simplified the offense for, for Bridgewater by just featuring Alvin Kamara.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I mean he's a teams leading rush with 69 yards and a touchdown, teams leading receiver with nine receptions, 92 yards and a touchdown uh, as well. I think we he expected, actually Yeah, he actually,
5: snapped a, I was going to say he actually snapped a five-game touchdown drought, which was the longest of Kamara's right. career. I it was
3: shocking, but yeah. Speaking of running backs, I mean last week I was a little bit nervous that Chris Carson was going to lose more and more work to Rashad Penny because of his fumbles. Uh, Rashad Penny didn't play in this one. But Chris Carson most likely will be losing even more work moving forward because he just cannot hang on to the football.
5: No, yeah. And that was, that was absolutely uh, one of the major uh, stories for Chris Carson. All the DFS players, you know, who wanted to jam Carson into their lineups looked like a, a great spot for him at home against New Orleans and with Rashad Penny not playing after uh, tweaking his hamstring at the walkthrough on, on Friday. Um, and, yeah, he, he lost uh, his third fumble in his many weeks. He's, he's lost one in every game this year. That's easily the most in the league. Uh, the same number he had all of last season when he when he struggled with fumbles. And uh, he I wouldn't say he got benched, but he definitely saw his playing time uh, limited after that. He, he, I'd say he spent the, the majority of the day in Pete Carroll's doghouse. He was out snapped by CJ precise who I didn't even rank in my running back rankings this week because I didn't think he was going to play much at all. Um, and, and precise was, was the guy uh, in the fourth quarter when they were playing from behind and, and, you know, in catch up mode. Cause we know precise is, is a good pass catcher, even though Chris Carson has, has shown he can catch passes too. So yeah, uh, kind of a, a missed opportunity for Carson in a game that looked like a really good spot for him. And, Um, Penny scored a long touchdown last week, and when he's healthy, I would imagine it will be something close to a 50-50 split if uh, Carson can't improve with his ball security.
3: Meanwhile, as you mentioned, the Seahawks were playing from behind much of this game. That led to Russell Wilson in a very unShottenheimer way, uh, attempting 50 passes, 32 completions two touchdowns. I mean, Tyler Lockett saw 14 of those targets for 11 receptions and 154 yards. DK Metcalf, 67 yards. Will Disley keep scoring touchdowns, six, 62. And one, I'm assuming a lot of this was because they were trying to work from behind and this is not a sustainable passing game. And it's not what the Seahawks hope to do. Right, Jesse?
5: No. Yeah. I believe, I believe I heard on the CBS broadcast that the 50 attempts for Wilson tied a career high. Um, and he played awesome, you know. Um, I, I know it's a little bloated because of the volume, and uh, you know, just in catch-up in mode. A lot of it was garbage time, literal garbage time at the end. Uh, the Will Disley touchdown came on the very last play of regulation. There was literally zero seconds left on the clock, and it wouldn't—it didn't even affect the game at all because Seattle was down by two touchdowns. So it's just kind of a gift for fantasy owners who had him, were hmm. relying him on him as a tight end streamer. But uh, I, you know, Wilson is. He's he's going to be a great fantasy contributor as usual. Um, he, he's the best, arguably the best improviser in the game. He's still incredibly mobile. He has a rocket arm. He uh, going back to the the mobile aspect. He rushed for 51 yards and two touchdowns, both coming in the fourth quarter. And he has some pretty good weapons too. Tyler Lockett has always been kind of we know he can separate. Um, with his, his top-end speed, but he's never really gotten the volume. And now, in, in the first year without Doug Baldwin, he's he's absolutely getting it. He was a disappointment in the first, uh, first game against Cincinnati. He was only targeted twice in that game, but the last two weeks, I believe he has been targeted a combined 26 times, including 14. The 11 catches today was a career high for him, and uh, he just looked awesome. And Metcalf only had the two catches, but one of them was a – 54-yarder to close out the first half, got really tight coverage from at least two players on the play, including uh, Marshawn Lattimore, uh, the Saints' best cover corner. So mm. he's he's cleared 60 yards in all three games so far, uh, despite catching uh, less than half of his passes.
3: Yeah, even at 2-1, and one, the Saints are in the driver's seat for the NFC South next up. In those four, or five, or six games without Drew Brees, Dallas at home, Bucks at home, Jaguars and Bears in the road and then the Cardinals. The Indianapolis Colts now 2 and 1 after defeating the Atlanta Falcons 27 to 24. Nick Minzio covered this game for us. Nick, I look at the stat line for the Falcons. I mean, Matt Ryan three touchdowns. Devontae Freeman like 88 yards more than he's had I think so far this season. Julio Jones went off for 8 128 and 1. How did the Falcons lose this game to the Colts?
6: First half man, they got nothing going on in on offense in the first half uh matt ryan had 88 yards at halftime he was 7 of 11 in the first half then they just turned it on in the second half as they chased down the colts and almost tracked them down for that win uh almost erased that 17 point deficit uh matt ryan was 22 of 23 with all three touchdowns in the second half i mean he was on fire if they would have got the ball back they would have won the game i'm sure
3: what about on the Colts side? What stood out to you? Because I look at Jacoby Brissett, he had 310 yards, two touchdowns of his own, only took one sack. Marlon Mack, 16 carries, 74 yards, and a touchdown. T.Y. Hilton, eight, 65, and one. I believe Hilton left in this game, didn't he?
6: Yeah, he uh, hurt his quad catching a four-yard touchdown. He, he came into the into the game with a quad injury, didn't practice all 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 that much this week uh, leading up to the game, and then then I guess he he re that quad catching the four-yard touchdown. But yeah, he saw 10 targets in the first half, so he, he did enough for fantasy owners before he, he went out of the game, but they just couldn't move. They didn't, like, they didn't have the ball in the second half, pretty much. I mean,
1: hmm.
6: it was just Marlon Mack was like the only guy that could do anything on offense for them in the second half, because they were down to like, Zach Pascal and uh, Deion Kane and Paris Campbell at receiver. I mean, those guys didn't even do anything in the box score. Uh, Pascal caught a touchdown for his first catch of the season in the first half, but outside of that, they didn't do much, but... I mean, if, if Hilton's going to miss if Hilton's going to miss time, I think Mac next week at home against the Raiders is just going to lock up twenty five touches probably.
3: I'm still just like stunned how the Colts did this because it just seems like I mean I didn't even mention Austin Hooper six six six
7: yeah
3: six sixty six and two like <laughs> was it just like death by paper cuts here that the Colts were able to get out to a lead? I mean they were up what twenty to three at halftime, and then there just weren't yeah. enough possessions and time left for the Falcons to come back.
6: Yeah, they just yeah, like you said, they just didn't have enough time the Falcons in in the second half like they they played bad in the first half and then like a fire got lit under them and and they played great in the second half and like it's just, it was just unfortunate they couldn't Julio Jones was doing whatever he wanted in the middle of the field. They were giving him those chunk gains. Yeah. He made an awesome catch for a 10-yard touchdown. And then Hooper was sitting in the middle of the field against his own defense just doing whatever he wanted as well. Got hmm. two red zone touchdowns. The only guy that didn't do anything was Calvin Ridley on one target, caught a six-yard pass, and he was non-existent the rest of the, rest of the game.
3: A lot of people were nervous about Devontae Freeman entering this week. I mean, he had done nothing pretty much through two games. Um, he did a lot in this one, Nick. Should those people feel a bit more comfortable starting him moving forward?
6: Yeah, Ido Smith actually left on the first drive with a concussion, so it was just, it was all they had, and Kadri Allison was inactive, Brian Hill was inactive, healthy scratches. All they had was Kenyon Barner, and then he got hurt in the game too, so it was just hmm. Devontae Freeman. Uh, so he he racked up season high 18 carries, I believe it was 18 something like that. Um, I know it was a season high for him through three weeks. Uh, two runs of 24 yards or longer. That was pretty much where most of his production came from. Uh, other than that, he was grinding out three four yard games. I mean, the volume should be should be there if Edo uh, Smith misses the next game. But I mean, I don't I don't know how how good. Freeman just hasn't found the end zone. He's just not not doing it for fantasy on right now. But you, you gotta expect the touchdowns
3: to come at some point. There are three one and two teams in the NFC South. The Atlanta Falcons are one. And you covered another one. The Carolina Panthers topple, the Arizona Cardinals on the road thirty-eight to twenty. Um, I mean, Nick, this is a Panthers team that was starting Kyle Allen. This is a Panthers team that lost miserably to to the Tampa Bay Bucks on the previous Thursday night performance. Then they lost by three points in the week one against the LA Rams. What was the difference this week for the Panthers other than, you know, facing the Arizona Cardinals defense, which has been absolutely awful for the first three weeks of the season.
6: I think the difference in the game was in, in their team was Kyle Allen was able yeah. to hit, hit receivers accurately. I mean, Cam Newton was missing guys wildly the first couple of weeks. I mean, missing wide-open guys. I mean, Kyle Allen was just sticking these throws against this this barely-there Cardinals defense. Um, he looked good. I mean, put the ball in his playmaker's hands, had D.J. Moore scored a 52-yard touchdown on his only catch. Curtis Samuel and Greg Olsen tied for the team lead with seven targets. Both caught touchdowns with Olsen scoring two of them. Um, I'm chalking it up more to the Cardinals defense, just not being any good. But I'm interested to see if Kyle Allen gets another start for this team.
3: Yeah, it sounds like he will, or at least as long as Cam Newton... Um, is rehabbing. They're not going to rush mm-hmm. him back. But, Nick, you kind of pointed it out. I mean, it was two big plays for the Panthers. It was a Christian McCaffrey 76-yard touchdown run when he almost – I think he did go untouched through the middle and juked out of safety other than a, a long tackle attempt by Byron Murphy. And then it was that DJ Moore 52-yard score, which put him in stride, allowed him to win after the catch. And even Greg Olson got involved, Six seventy-five and 2 Curtis Samuel 5-53-1, D.J. Moore won and one and Again, we know Christian McCaffrey, 24 carries, 153 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, the end result, four touchdowns for Kyle Allen. And, I mean, it's not like a difficult schedule ahead for the Panthers. They have the Houston Texans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Tampa Bay Bucks, the San Francisco 49ers, the Tennessee Titans. Like, this is a cake schedule for them if they can get on the right track and not make as many mistakes and keep making these plays.
6: Yeah, I like that they're going to another dome environment next week in Houston uh against a defense against a Texas defense that just got eviscerated by Keenan Allen this week. Uh he went nuclear in that game and that loss. Um Yeah, I mean, I I just love this Carolina offense cuz it's so concentrated and so narrow, you know who's going to get in the ball and all their big guys went off today, which was what you thats what you love to see in
3: fantasy especially. You and I were exchanging messages in the Slack chat, which is a deep and dark and dangerous place. But that's kind of where Kyler Murray went in the second half, Nick. I mean, in the first half, he basically put up 20 fancy points. He was 30 of 43 to end the game for just, for just 173 yards. He had two touchdowns, and he had two interceptions. He ended up taking eight sacks. Some were on him. Some were on the offensive line. Kind of paint this picture of Kyler Murray's performance because it was an awkward one.
6: Yeah, I mean, they they got started hot. They had a, a touchdown opening drive and we were like, oh my oh my god, uh, this is going to be the week for Kyler Murray. And then, as soon as Christian Kirk dropped like a 50-something yard pass down the middle, right at the end of the first half, the, the train went off the rails for this offense. I mean, they couldn't move the ball in the second half. Um, they were relying on wide receiver screens and quick slants. Uh, none of their receivers could break, away, break through tackles. Uh, Panthers were doing a good job tackling them as soon as they were catching the ball. So, they had one pass play of longer than 17 yards. I mean, that's oh. just not normal from the first two weeks, where we were seeing like downfield passing. It just wasn't happening in this game. I don't know what. I don't know why. Um, but four yards per attempt for a just flat unacceptable. I mean, it's not going to get it done. I mean, he. A lot of the sacks were on him. I think he was running backwards into sacks. Um, he he was like on the sideline for a couple couple of quote unquote sacks too, where he just ran out of bounds. Or, or negative yards and sit like just throw the ball away out of balance. Just that's all you gotta do and just live for five another day, you know. But,
3: it was it was a weird narrative heading into this game because you know, I think the momentum had started to build that well, Kyler Murray ran in college, but he didn't want to take those hits in the NFL, right? This is a different game. He's easily the smallest person, he can't just outrun them. But then Nick, he has eight carries for sixty nine yards and looks like an exciting playmaker with that stuff, but that's different. Those design runs, those taking off when, you know, there's wide open space in front of you versus sticking and being physical in a condensed closing pocket. And I think he is kind of, you know, using and and has a different perspective on the two different types of contact because again, he was more willing to run in this scenario, but then in the pocket, he would kind of fold and just hit the ground as soon as contact was approaching.
6: Yeah, I liked it that. I liked that they had some designed runs. We just we didn't see that in the first couple weeks. He had some run pass options, a 17 yard gain, a 20 yard gain where he took off right up the middle on one. Um, it was it, it was probably the only positive sign from his game was the, the the heightened floor for his fantasy owners where he had 6.9 yard 6.9 points with 669 rushing yards. So that that raised the floor quite a bit in fantasy. Uh, got you by if you're starting him, but I hope they I hope he can put it all together next week against uh, Seattle. They'll They'll be home again in the in the desert, in a dome. Um, no one's going to be wanting to play him in DFS either. so I, I think this might be a spot to jump back on Murray uh, in, in daily for sure.
3: And Christian Kirk had a Jameson Crowder like stat line, twelve targets, right. ten receptions, fifty nine yards. i I push for us, Nick, to um, eliminate push passes from quarterback stat lines because if a ball travels three centimeters in the air forward, then I don't really know if that's really. <laughs> Uh, a, a pass i mean, Larry Fitzgerald got his I mean seven five for 36 and a touchdown David Johnson had six receptions in the receiving game again you're right I mean just as soon as the Panthers had you know that 14 to 10 lead heading in to halftime and then 28 to 20 heading into the fourth quarter like it just seemed like the Cardinals had zero energy at all and I think that kind of starts with Kyler Murray the Buffalo Bills are now 3-0 and as they have their first home game of the season, and it's a victory over the Cincinnati Bengals, 21-17. to Anthony covered that game for us. Anthony, was it kind of just a beatdown that the Bills had throughout the entire game? Was there really a turning point to this entire contest?
7: Yeah, it was a lot of the same from the Bengals. Um, they got shut out in the first half, 76 first-hand yards, didn't convert a third down until the fourth quarter, but they ended up having a chance to win. Um, they led in the fourth quarter and were driving late. Uh, The takeaway for me are that this is a tank year for Cincy at at 0-1-3 now. Mm -hmm. A.J. Green should be back next few weeks, um, but it's just too deep of a hole to get out of. The offensive line is a mess without Cordy Glenn. Uh, I've covered the Bengals the last two weeks, and I get the vibe that Zach Taylor is a little out of his depth as a first-year coach. Uh, Not really play calling, just execution stuff. Hmm. The Bengals have looked overmatched all three games. And a lot of that is the injuries, but I don't see it turning around this year for Taylor. And, and really it's two teams going in different directions. Um, the Bills are undefeated, uh, but they really haven't beat anyone when you look at the schedule. Their signature win is week one over the Jets, and that was ugly. I don't think they have the star power on offense to keep this up. Uh, I've been a Josh Allen guy since day one, but really they're doing this with a bunch of castoffs right now. Um, John Brown, Cole Beasley, and a late-stage Frank Gore. So Devin Singletary, we don't really know when he'll be back, maybe next week. But, you know, the bills are obviously trending up, but I'm not buying they're this good. It's been a very soft schedule.
3: Yeah, I kind of think like the Bengals are still living off that first half against the Seahawks and everyone's perception. And since then, they've been absolutely awful. Andy Dalton, 249 yards, two interceptions, and a touchdown. Joe Mixon, just 61 yards. He did have a receiving touchdown and 34 yards um, in the air, but he's been looking like a top two-round pick. I mean, again, John Ross did absolutely nothing in this contest after doing great, and it kind of speaks to the high-variance-ness of him. Anthony, I know you've been a big fan of Josh Allen. To me, he's still making the same mistakes that he's made in the past, but making them maybe less frequently, and his strengths are kind of becoming even stronger. Like, this offense has really catered to him now, so it's really elevating what he does well and his positive attributes.
7: Yeah, and, and not much in the stats at the on this week. But even though the Bills led for game, he ended up making the fourth quarter comeback, and you know, uh, you know, the Bills are 3 then That's to me, that's all Allen. Uh, he's easily been their best playmaker. There's still something bad in there, um, like you said with Allen. He took the intentional grounding penalty that put the Bills out of field goal range in the first half. And his interception was a forced throw that ended up letting the Bengals back in the game. But to me, there's no doubt he's answering a lot of the questions about him going into the year.
3: There's some notable stat lines here. First, we'll go with the obvious, and that's Josh Allen. 243 yards, of touchdown, interception, plus another um, 46 yards rushing. Frank Gore, like you mentioned, was very Frank Gore-ish. He did average over five yards a carry, 14 carries, 76 yards, and a touchdown. But the team's leading receiver, Anthony, was Dawson Knox, a rookie tight end out of Ole Miss, three receptions, 67 yards, and a touchdown. He kind of did his best George Kittle impersonation in terms of ragdolling tacklers off of him. I believe was... Uh, no, I don't even know who it was. But yeah, he did a great job on just four targets. A lot of people are searching for tight ends right now. Is he an option, or do you think he wasn't featured enough to kind of be a consistent presence week in, week out? Yeah, the
7: breakout game for Knox, I think, is probably the biggest storyline. Um, he scored on Josh Allen's only touchdown and had probably the highlight of the game on a big catch 49 yards, broke multiple tackles. I think Knox would have been the week-one starter without his training hand injuries. Hmm. And now with Tyler Cross dealing with another setback, the narrative is there for him to run away with the job. Uh, Cross hasn't been ruled out for next week, but I, I don't expect him to play. The snap counts were encouraging for Knox 60% range um, this week. Knox are kind of interesting. Uh, Played behind Evan Ingram two years in old Didn't score any touchdown in the spin of starter, but You know, the measurables, 4-5 or speed, I can see the hype with him, but he's not someone I'm on. Uh, The Bills like to spread it out. Josh Allen really doesn't lock on to anyone. Uh, I wouldn't splash my waiver budget on Knox, but I think he's their starter going
3: forward. Like I said, the Buffalo Bills are 3-0. They face the New England Patriots at home next week, which should be a very, very fun game. Again, both teams undefeated. Then they go the Titans, then the Miami Dolphins. Anthony, it's a real shot that these Bills go 5-1 and uh, to start the season. Anthony, so thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you next week.
0: Treat Dad to the
6: good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts Dad will love up to 60% off, shirts. Activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off.